On today's episode, we talk with the marketing savage, John Hiley. You got to make sure to align your life, number one, with principles. What works? Things, you know, a principle would be like, okay, well, when you sow, you reap. We can see that everywhere. You can say everywhere in life, you can see that, okay? Make sure you guide your life with principles. The second thing, write down what your perfect day looks like. And I'm here to tell you guys the biggest problem that I see with people is they short sell themselves on this. They don't dream big enough. And here's the deal. If you read your perfect day and you do not get emotional, then it's not big enough. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, and helping make this place better than we found it. Well, today's show is all about alignment and clarity. I love those terms, alignment and clarity about who we are and where we're going. If you're a listener of this show, you know I'm a firm believer of creating this outcome-based mindset of knowing what you want to accomplish and why. That is a foundation for a decentralized culture and business, but it's also foundational for where we take our own lives. We have to have a life vision. We have to do the work to set out what we stand for. What are the principles that we believe and where do we want to go? Because without it, it's kind of an aimless adventure. When we have it, we get alignment, we get clarity about what we're supposed to do. And then when we're faced with all these challenges, we know which things are important and which aren't. Because let's face it, there are so many things that we can do in any given day. But if they're not supporting our intent, our life vision, we don't have alignment and clarity around that, then it's all fruitless. And that's what today's guest is so good at, John Hiley. He is the marketing savage. I love his book. It's one of my favorite books. Here's a guy and a conversation that's going to help us and help you figure out how to get your life vision. John Hiley's a man who's had success early and often, and then he self-destructed and he rebuilt it even bigger and better. I love John's authenticity, his transparency, his vulnerability. You heard me talk about those things. He lives these in spades. What he does now in helping others, entrepreneurs and individuals combat complacency, punch mediocrity in the face, all the lessons along the way. He's a big sharer. He's a big giver. And I'm a huge fan of John. We go deep in this conversation on how we can get that alignment and clarity around our life vision. I encourage you to check out his stuff at marketingsavage.com. Check out that best-selling book, one of my favorite books out there. I'll have links to his website and to his book on Amazon. And you can connect with him on Facebook as well. But I just love John Hiley. I think he is one of the best. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get on with it. John Hiley, here on The Dose. with you on Facebook for a long time. And I, and I remember when I first, I don't, I can't remember how long I connected with you, but I've always been kind of following, you know, obviously been a fan of you for a long time. Truly appreciate Marketing Savage. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. And I, because it comes from a level of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability, something that I talk about here on the show, which I think a lot of other books are, I mean, I guess that's what I appreciate about you. Those three things, the authenticity, the transparency, and the vulnerability. What do you think about when you hear me say that? Well, you know, I mean, really your, your mess is your message. And, uh, I spent a long time just running away from that. And, uh, I even had a gentleman who was part of one of my elite masterminds, uh, come up to me and he kind of dropped what he thought was this huge bomb on me, something that nobody knew about him. 
and uh, he pulled me aside and first he pulled me aside and I'm like, you know, you know, uh, it's our elite mastermind. Uh, I'm not going to have time to, you know, but he said, and this is like personal. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, come on, let's go over here and let's talk about it. Right. And he told me and he dropped this, uh, this thing on me, right. Uh, that he was hiding from the world, just like many of us have, you know, these things that we want to hide from the world. Like I had for the longest time, I wanted to hide my past, hide my history from the world. And uh, every day it wreaks havoc on you when you do not step in your truth and you've got these things that you're hiding from the world every day. You're thinking, you know, everybody's going to, you know, figure me out. One of these days, my enemies are going to find out, you know, these things about me. Uh, for me, it was back in, um, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2001. I think I was convicted of, uh, you know, a felony for trafficking LSD and, uh, I, I became a leader and I blew up in multiple industries and I'm running, you know, six or seven businesses at the time. And I'm just literally scared shitless on a daily basis that one of these days, you know, these thousands and thousands of people that I train, that I mentor, that are buying things from me. One of these days, one of my enemies is going to figure it out. They're going to Google me. They're going to look me up. And, uh, and then they're going to tell the entire world and then everybody's going to hate me and everybody's going to think that, you know, I'm this terrible person because of this thing that I hid from them. And I, I felt it for a long time, you know? So it was like hiding part of myself that, uh, kept me very vulnerable in my own mind when right. ultimately, um, me and my wife decided that we were going to come out on my podcast and just tell everybody the entire story, like rip the whole bandaid off right in front of the industry. And we made a big deal about it and we got a lot of people involved and there was a lot of people on and uh, we ripped the bandaid off. And I'm here to tell you that it was quite the opposite of what I ever expected. So there's a lot of times that we think that our truth is going to, uh, you know, incriminate us uh, that our truth is going to expose us, but the, Truth is the truth, like, right, the, the cliche thing, the truth will set you free. And, yeah. I mean, from that day forth, when everybody started uh, DMing me and going, dude, I did this, man, this, I, I, I so appreciate you, like, stepping up and just being honest and authentic and telling us what happened in your life because this happened to me in life. And then you come to find out, like, everybody's got this story. Everybody's got this thing that they're hiding from the world, right? Or most people, you <laughs> right. know? And, uh, you know, I got a DUI back in, you know, 2004, whatever it is, right? And, uh, you actually find that it connects you with your audience. So I believe once I seen that my connection with all the people that I was working with, all the people that were following me went to a higher level. And the fact of the matter is the people that, uh, back then I really don't consider anybody my enemies, right? But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The people that, uh, you know, are, are mad that you win, mad that you succeed. These people actually came out of the woodwork and started, uh, DMing me and kind of praising me for stepping up. And, you know, some of them had skeletons in their closet and they seen me release it to the world and it uh, gave them permission to do the same. So it's empowering to uh, to throw something into the light. You know what I mean? When you throw it into the light, uh, it's almost like Eminem, right? You, so that movie Eminem, I think it was eight, eight, eight Mile, right? Uh, yeah. So at the very end, they have a rap battle. And the, the way Eminem wins this rap battle with this guy, like he's used to these guys talking shit about him. That he lives in a trailer park that lives with his mom and all these kind of things. Right. And uh, the way that he wins the rap battle is he just literally makes fun of himself. He makes fun of right. himself. So by the time the guy stood up to actually battle back with him, he had nothing to say. 
He's like, I yeah. really can't make fun of this guy more than what he just made fun of himself and all his friends and living in a trailer park and all these things. Right. So when you set yourself free like that, I mean, you really just open yourself up to uh, just take everything that you do to the next level and, and you have no worries and you're not scared and you're not living in fear and, and, uh, and you're living in truth, man. There's, there's nothing more valuable than stepping and just living in truth. Yeah. It's so well said, you know, and it's, it's so true. I mean, even when I think back and I almost got divorced, God, it's almost been 15 years, 14 years. Yeah. And, um, I had been, and I've talked a little bit about this on my show. I mean, anybody that follows the show knows the story, but, um, same thing. I got, I was hired by the airlines. I had my dream job. I was in the Marine Corps, hired by the airlines, dream job, 2001, 9-11 happened, laid off, I had to reinvent myself into the corporate arena, was kicking ass in the corporate arena and doing things and, and, um, think, but I wasn't very good at home. Right. I mean, I wasn't, I was spending all my time on work and not on my, I wasn't being a, a I was being a terrible husband and father, you know, ended up having an affair, uh, with someone that I worked with and, all came crashing down, tried to control the story, tried to hide it, tried to just dribble out the truth. It made it way worse than it really needed to be, you know? And, um, anyway, still married when we fixed, you know, congratulations. Worst thing that's well, worst thing that ever happened to my, I mean, it's more a testament to my wife than it is to, to me. She had every right and reason to leave, you know? Yeah. But she stuck with it and, and, you know, and it's been far from perfect and it's certainly not, you know, I'm not going to lay any bullshit down like, oh, we're more in love than we were before. There's a scar there, you know, so there's yeah. a reality to the, the the consequence to the action, just as you say that, you know that. But my point is, is that when I started coaching and t- I said, how can I talk about leadership and integrity and this and that when I was living that lie back then? Right. You know, how could I do that? And because I was, I was talking leadership game then, you know, about integrity and the Marine Corps integrity and this and that. And when I started, I've coached people along the way and and like one-on-one, particularly men, I only coach men. And, um, when they first sit down with me and they talk like, well, how can I help you? And they're, they're kind of their chest forward. And I'm like, well, I want to be successful, you know? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? well, I want to be in the C-suite or I want to have this amount of money or I want to have this position or, you know, I want to have the house in the hill or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I go, well, that that's great. But what does a life of significance look like? You know, what does a life vision of or a life of significance look like? And it's, I call it the melt, John. It's like when I sit there and I start, they, they, their shoulders kind of drop when I ask them that question. Right. Yeah. And they start thinking, and they're looking and they're like, well, and invariably every single one of them start talking about, well, I want my, my kids to be proud of me. I want my wife to, to respect and be proud of me. I want to leave a legacy behind. I want to leave this. It, it is nothing about dollars, cars, houses, positions, right. title. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I like what you're saying right there. And then I tell them my story. I kind of lay out all the gory details. Mm-hmm. And I don't know this person. I've known them for maybe 30 minutes or an hour. And I lay out everything that I did, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Which, yeah. And, and you watch him. And every time, if it's someone worth coaching, my point is, is that when they see somebody share that truth to them, 
they're like, oh my God, dude. And they like, I struggle with this. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with this. I str-. You know what I mean? It sure. opens up a whole different ball game. So I'm with you, but it's hard to do, right? It's scary to, to kind of open your heart and to, you know, show your warts and all, because I guess we're afraid we're going to be shamed. You know, we're going to like on the game of Thrones, you know, shame, you know, ringing the bell, walking down the street, you know, but yeah, man, it's scary though. It is. Yes, it is. But if you actually look at anybody who's making a real impact, they actually have a very vulnerable story. Yeah. I mean, everybody. And uh, so it's, uh, it's really one of the most powerful things that you can actually do is just to set yourself free. And um, the truth is, uh, that's likely the reason why the folks that are out there that are sharing their story are above average. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because it, it takes courage. It does take courage to step out into the light and actually to take that darkness and push it into the light. Look, we should not be surprised in life that we're going to have dark moments. We're going to have moments where the sun is going to be shining on us. You can see that clear as day by walking out in front of your house, your home, wherever you are now, and look up at the sky. Is the sun shining now? Guess what? It's going to go down. It's going to get dark. Yeah. We see that same emulation. Everything you see in this world, you're going to see it in your life. There's going to be times when the sun's up and shining on you. And there's going to be times when it's dark. I don't, I don't run out in front of my house when the sun goes down. Well, it is a beautiful Texas sunset, though, I will tell you that. But I don't run out there, and I'm not surprised the sun's going down. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're going to face dark times in our life. You know, yeah, and, and have, having that awareness when it is dark—that's what I try to remind myself too. When it's dark, that this is when the formation actually really happens, right? It's like I had one entrepreneur tell me one time mm-hmm. he calls them the in the in the mud moments. Sure. And if you can, if you have the self awareness that you're in the mud, yeah. And instead of reacting to it at the moment and just kind of okay, what is this teaching me? What do I do with this? even though it's your darkest moment. Right. And if you can just realize that that's the moment that's actually shaping you. Absolutely. That's how, that's how I get through those mud Mm -hmm. moments. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, when you plant a seed in the ground, it's got to grow down first. That's true. And the further it grows down, the higher it can grow up. So a lot of us have, you know, hard stories and them hard times shaped us to be who we are today. And the deeper we came to hell, <laughs> the higher we can grow to heaven. And, you know, I've just, I've just learned these things in our life because, look, there, there has to be good and bad. There has to be. It creates movement. There would be no movement without good and bad. You know, the fact of the matter is that um, I got, I got a, a guy who um, he's really, really well known in a lot of um, big time coaching circles and uh, probably a lot of his philosophies have been used at the highest levels of Tony Robbins deals, the highest levels of many people, Sean Whale and all these guys, right. Have, you know, worked off of this one guy's kind of life philosophy. And, um, you know, w- one of the, the, the deepest things that, that I've learned from him is that, you know, everything it's almost like, okay, so it's almost like you're a hermit crab. All right. So I'm going to explain this, this, right? So you're a hermit crab. Okay. And you're growing and you're growing and you're growing. And many of you entrepreneurs, you guys, you guys have felt this in your life, right? So you're beginning to grow and you're this hermit crab and this shell that you have 
on top of you is just getting tighter and tighter and tighter, right? And it's getting so tight that you can't stand it anymore. You can't stand staying the same size that you've been. Now, many of you entrepreneurs know this, especially the ones that are really feeling the growth, you leaders out there who really want to grow. Well, at some point, you got to get out of that shell. Well, when you get out of that shell, all the gurus and stuff like that talk about transformation being such a glorious thing. It's not. Transformation can be very hard, especially when you're breaking a bunch of habits and turning them into becoming the new you, because becoming the new you is going to push you out of that comfort zone. Becoming the new you is not going to be comfortable. So you're like the hermit crab during this period of time while you're starting to uh, develop these new habits because they're hard. And that means you're very vulnerable because you're looking for a new shell, right? So there's all these things that can eat you. You're like this hermit crab and you lost your shell. And there's all these things that can come get you. You have no protection. You likely have no family around you. You likely have no family that's agreeing with uh, your growth. You don't have people around you. Your friends aren't agreeing with your growth because they're seeing you excel at this level that uh, causes them to reflect on their own growth, right? And because of that, it makes them, let's just say, very grumpy, <laughs> right? Because they, they see that reflection in you. So you're this hermit crab and you're actually trying to find this new shell. And it's very, very vulnerable during that time. And all of us are going to feel that. All of us are going to feel that darkness. But when we finally find that new shell and we step into who we were meant to be, you realize that you're going to grow and you're going to excel to that next level. But there's that time. There's that period, that incubator time. And they even break it down to, if, uh, you know, you read uh, certain books that talk about cellular change and all these kind of things. Um, uh, in fact, uh, there's the biology of belief by, I think Bruce Lipton would be probably one of the most powerful ones. They talk about how literally when you make a mental change and you become a new person, that doesn't mean that your cellular change, like what you've, what you're made up of, uh, that is partially chemically induced by your thoughts. People don't talk about this. He actually breaks that down in the book where your thoughts create these chemicals that insert their way into your cells, just like nutrition. So your entire body, all your cells that are continuously being dying and being renewed are built off of the thoughts that you hold inside of your mind. And there's going to be a period of time where you want to change, but you haven't changed at even a cellular level. So physically, it's going to be hard. You're going to have physical pain during these transformations, right? But when you yeah. get through a transformation, it is the most powerful thing you could ever do. A lot of um, my buddies who are big, you know, big entrepreneurs, influencers, they call it leveling up. Um, what, what a lot of people don't talk about is during that process it can get hard. And, and it's such uh, a disservice by not talking about this. Because what happens to people, they think, they go, oh, yeah, leveling up. That's going to be fun, man. That's going to be, I'm going to yeah. rock it out right. And it is. There's parts of it that is. You know, it's powerful. You're a man on a mission. You know, when you're leveling up, you're a man on the mission. But then they get there and they're like, oh, man, why do I feel like shit today? <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're like, so something must be wrong with me. Be like, yeah. no, nah, bro, that's just the way it is. That's what you got to go through to take everything to the next level. So there's this period of resistance, and especially when it comes to breaking down. I know today we're going to talk about you know defining what your dream, what your vision is, what your fuel is, right? But there's always going to be resistance towards doing the things that you got to do to make that to accomplish that. Yeah, that is. I love that word resistance, and you know, it reminds me of you know 
what I consider my Bible, Stephen Pressfield's A War of Art, which we've talked about here a That's lot. That's right. I'm talking about resistance. And that book's been a life changer for me of getting comfortable with that resistance, right? It's about being that composed force and in, in chaos is, is what I like to equate it to. And you're right that it's not. Yeah, you're just I'm just thinking about all the language, all the gurus and people promising these things and leveling up. And you're just in your mind, you're thinking, oh, I'll just I won't be shackled. I'll be free of this and I'll have this, that. But you're right. All that growth. And that's I love that hermit crab analogy because it makes sense. Right. When you break free of that old home or that old mm -hmm. shell, there's a moment there where you're exposed naked to the oh, world. There's times you, you know, you're at a loss for words. You can't even speak. I mean, it's just yeah. it's it's a ridiculous period of time of transformation. They call it yeah. like the werewolf. You know what I mean? Like you ever see uh, on a movie somebody change into a werewolf? Yeah. You see how it's painful pain. that looks. They're yeah. just like ah, you're right. And um, that's a period of that you're going to experience. I mean, you're going to experience the good stuff too. You know, the beautiful yeah. thing about being an individual who's on a mission to become the biggest, baddest version of you. Is that when you intensely and I mean it can be it's going to be physically hard it's going to be mentally hard there's going to be days that you feel bad but if you keep your eye on that big vision and you continuously move towards that big vision you can be yeah. uh, happy you can be angry you can be all of these different emotions but you can't be depressed because depression is death it's death overtaking your body mm -hmm. and it's you feeling the pain of death come over you you can't feel that when you're on a full blow mission of taking everything you do to the next level i mean right. you can get angry though because you could be forced to put together an ikea piece of furniture or something like that right <laughs> there could be these situations that anger you right and that's okay that's good good you know people are like well it's bad to get angry some no it's not no. no it's not you know uh you know going back to the to the gentleman i was talking about his name's mike kimsky uh, going back to, to him, he actually experienced a, enlightenment at one point in his life. So he he uh, he had seven days where he experienced pure enlightenment, right? And so enlightenment is essentially what what Buddha had talked about is like our goal in life to actually get to, right? Was this state of like pure bliss where a negative, no negative thoughts come through your mind. And I asked Mike one day, I said, well, let's talk a little bit because he talks to Harvard professors and all these things, the people that specifically talk about, you know, this enlightenment. And uh, he told me, he said, dude, it was terrible. I said, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, well, that's what we're all trying to try to do. Right. You know, and this is a while back uh, before I realized that it actually would be terrible. Uh, he goes, no, 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 it was terrible. He's like, dude, I could literally watch a lion eat a baby and, and just be okay. Like one with the world. Like it's, oh it's like God. everything, you know what I mean? Like there was no duality of emotion. Wow. You know, I mean, if you simply just look at uh, our lives in general, right? So we, we've got this thing called duality and what that is, that's like a spirit and a flesh. Okay. So there's two parts of that. You know, if you look back at like some of the original, like Plato and all this, you know, Aristotle, they would talk about, you know, the spirit being perfect and uh, the flesh being imperfect. Like if you try to physically draw a square. Uh, there's no way we could ever draw a perfect square, but if you could imagine one in the spirit, it could actually be perfect. Right? So, you know, we got this idea in this philosophy that literally, um, and, and I don't claim to know this cause, uh, you know, I have faith and I'm a, I'm a, a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't claim to like have a hundred percent knowledge and knowing like I've ever experienced death or what happens after death. Right. I have faith right. of what, what I believe, but you know, I don't claim to have that direct knowledge, but you know, 
one of the things that we looked at here is that like, you know, let's just say when you die, when your body dies, right? This duality in your spirit actually leaves your body. Okay. It's going to have one or two things. It's either going to look down at you and go, dude, we rock that life out, bro. Thank you. Right. Because without you, without your physical, without this duality of the spirit and the flesh, man, I could have never ate a strawberry. I could have never felt the electricity kiss of a woman. I could have never, you know, tasted mustard, right? There's like all of these things we went on this ride. Or whenever you die, it's going to get out of your body and be like, dude, I wanted to go skydiving, bro. Like I wanted to do all these things. Like you played it so safe. It was terrible riding with you, man. You know, because your spirit wants to live this, like, you know, wants to live through you. This perfect spirit we have inside wants to live through you. But the only form of expression it can feel in this physical world is, is by that duality of the flesh, you see? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 where, that's where the perfect meets the imperfect and comes together and actually creates movement. And that's why, you know, earlier I was saying, well, it, it couldn't be just everything just being perfect because then we couldn't experience this amazing thing that we have called life. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I love that analogy, that duality. And I do, and I've talked about on the show, they do believe, like you said, there has to be a spiritual element to this journey. There has to be, because there is something bigger than ourselves out there. I don't claim like you to know exactly what it is, but I know that it's there through faith. And I think even through some, even through, I could even say arguably personal physical manifestations that Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've probably felt too, you know, and that you can't explain. Mm -hmm. And I think that make intuition. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah I, you're right. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you, that, that internal gut feel, mm-hmm. there's something there to that, right? We've all been there where mm-hmm. something doesn't seem right and we don't know why we can't put our finger on it, right? And some could argue biologically that's there from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of biology keeping us alive from the saber-toothed tiger. But that's maybe that's partly true, but there's, we've all been in situations where if we if we hadn't listened to our gut, something mm-hmm. really bad would have happened. It's just interesting to me that there's so much proof that this world was created by div- divine intelligence. Yeah. But everybody does not want to look at the proof. And I'll tell you what the proof is. The proof is this. Everything outside of nature, everything outside of nature, uh, the desk that I'm sitting on right here, the chair that I'm, I'm – the chair that I'm sitting on, the desk that I got my arms on. The car outside of my house, the the pavement, the road, the houses, all these things, right? Were first a thought formed in the mind of man. And then this thought had to be held tightly for a long time, right? To create these things. It had to be held for a long time to create these things. It took a long time to learn how to extract enough ore out of a mountain to create a car, right? So your car was once in a mountain, the mind of man had to figure out how to get that out of that mountain and then create it, right? I think it's just absurd to think that uh, some chemicals got together and this thing exploded without uh, – it's just proof. Everything started in this world outside of nature as a thought. So why wouldn't this world be created as a thought? Yeah. Well, and uh, you, that, if you look – you study nature and the more that you look at the universe, I mean it's so insanely elegantly chaotic – 
that it has to be by design, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the Fibonacci sequence. If, in, if you in, look at it, it's leaf. if you look at it, it's perfect. I mean, if you if you look at yeah. it, it's perfect. I mean, could you imagine anything more perfect than what we have right here? I couldn't imagine it. And if you look at the North Pole and the South Pole, that's a negative and positive, and that is actually we are sitting on this giant rock that's a magnet, and that negative and that positive is actually what makes the world spin and actually what creates movement, and that's. It goes right back to the duality of the the spirit and the flesh. Like they have to come together, the imperfect and the perfect, uh, you know, per se, the good and the bad has to come together to actually create any kind of movement at all or any kind of growth. Um, you know, I, I always say that I believe that the world uh, is in a state of completion, right? We're always moving towards completion. Um, the completion is going to be uh, filled with, well, what we're doing today. Because what we're doing today, we are coming together and we're talking about very positive, very uplifting, very moving things. Um, we're putting things into the mind of, minds of the audience that, uh, quite frankly, could change people's lives and could make them better, could make them better for their family, could make them better for the community, could make them better for everybody around them. Um, that, my friends, is changing thought. So you know, if we go back to everything outside of nature was created by thought, well, how do you change the world? Uh, you change it through what I call kingdom mindset. You change it through the mindset at the core is what actually changes the world. So we're doing something, uh, if you can imagine, it's like passing a torch. So me and you are sitting here on this podcast and we get this torch blazing, right? And we're sharing it with the world, sharing our light, right? Hey, here's the light, guys. Look at this beautiful thing, right? We're coming together and, and, and uh, such a such a beautiful thing to do for humanity, and, uh, and I'm not trying to say anything like I'm better than anybody by sitting here doing this or anything like that, no, but I'm, uh, but the principle behind this is that we're up here, you know, we're shining our light. We're trying to teach the world as much as we can possibly teach them about what we know, uh, to be good and to be wholesome and to be true. And we want people to go out and be the best for the community, the best for their family. So what happens is somebody stumbles along this podcast and their light is barely flickering, man. They got this light, this light that's just barely flickering. And just through this, through these words, we get the opportunity to touch our torch on their torch and their torch is blazing, right? And then what happens is they go out into their community and they find somebody who's got a light that's just barely flickering. But you know what? They can see that torch from a distance. They can see this guy's torch from afar. And it, listen, whenever you're in the darkness and you see a bright torch, you're going to move towards it. Yeah. You're going to move towards it. And then they get the chance to spark this other person. So the way the world has changed is not through government. You know, the way the world gets changed is through thought. Everything comes from thought. I mean, I don't care whether it's the car or a war. A war comes from thought first, right? So if you want to change the world, you change the way people think. And you do that right here at the ground level, man. Right here, sharing your testimony, sharing your story, impacting people, trying to shed light, trying to lift each other up, make each other better. And um, yeah. So true. I just believe that the world, the world is going towards completion. The people that think in other terms and other ways, like, you know, a lot of greed and negativity and all these things that we know is going on in the world. And, you know, I just, I don't consider that good or bad, but I do consider it underdeveloped. Right. Yeah, I, I consider that their, their minds are underdeveloped and we need to move more people towards uh, what I want to call completion. I picture completion as not really like heaven on earth, but a completion of an earth where everybody can, could be looking out for each other. You know what I mean? Like where everybody mm -hmm. can, can, can do it for the benefit of, a, of other people, right? Like everything, even if you look at like commerce exchange, if we look at business where we've got to exchange money for something, right? 
So if I exchange, if I take money from you and I give you a service or a product or something like that, by that exchange, both of our lives should get better. It's a law yeah. of increase, right? There's people right. that get into that exchange specifically to take more than they give. That is decrease. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a shift of the way you should think, right? And I believe that that, my friends, is what is going to ultimately take this world and move it into a better place. Yeah, it is a mindset of, as I'm listening to you, I love what you're saying, is um, I, I think that the universal obligation and kind of the, the, the marrow that should bind us all together is this, this obligation and I don't use that word lightly, this obligation that we're here to make the place better than we found it. It's kind of like the old Boy Scout adage of you find, come upon the campsite, you leave it better than when you found it. I do think that is the universal obligation that all of us share. And if you and if we embrace that, it, it, it leads us down this path of what you're talking about, right? That, And it kind of leads to what you and I were talking pre-recording of because you, you can feel like you and I and our own, and you can watch all this stuff and what's happening on the world around you. And you're like, what is happening? And everybody, this is chaotic. And it's like, what difference can I make? I'm sitting here. I feel like no one's listening to me. What does it even matter? You know, I'm in a job that I hate. I'm in a whatever. Your life isn't where you thought it would be. But listening to you, it's reminding that, we have way more influence than we give ourselves credit for. Right. Sure. And even like say on this podcast, he's like, you know, you and your podcast and you and writing your book, marketing savage and doing everything you're doing and everything. And I've done with those of leadership. I could have, I mean, and you've probably said, well, who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to coach somebody else when I've been such a pig in my life before? Right. I mean, you've had those thoughts. I've had those thoughts. Yeah. I think all of us go through that at some point, you know, where you ask yourself if you're qualified to be doing what it is that you're doing. <laughs> right. But, right. But I think when you kind of, okay, I'm going to live up to this obligation that we talked about of making the place better than we found it. It kind of, it takes the, whatever the, the fear, the vanity piece or the like, who am I, whatever. And it's, you know, maybe you're not going to be the next Tony Robbins and maybe that's not the purpose, right? The purpose mm -hmm. is to your point is like, if I can hold up a torch and if one person is in the dark that sees it, then I've kind of lived up to my obligation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to mention, you know, that your outside world is going to be a reflection of your internal world, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't right. realize that because yeah, you might be stuck at this job right now, right? You might be stuck in all these places. Uh, where you don't want to be in life, you might feel trapped, but you, what you need to do is you need to make a shift in your mindset because that saying that shift in your mindset is what is actually going to change your external world. Just like what we talked about when you hold a vision of something in your mind, you can create it as men, right? So, you know, if we got a vision of a table and we're good with uh, skilled with wood and a table saw and all these things, we can create that table with that vision that we hold. Well, your life is the same thing. You've got to hold this vision of what your life looks like, and you've got to hold it in your mind's eye at a point to where it drives everything that you do. And you've got to step into that first. And not only that, you've got to claim what it is, your birthright. I believe that if it's written in your heart, if it's given to you, if it's a desire, then it's your birthright. It's yours. So you got to claim it today as yours. 
because you know, you're going to be rewarded. Look, you can have gratitude for the things you have is incredible. Amazing. But if you want to step into true faith and I'm not even talking about at a religious point, faith is a belief in the unseen. If you want to step into true faith, be grateful for the things that you already, that you, that you don't have. Be grateful for the, the things that you, uh, the desires that you have in your heart. Be grateful for them as if you already have them. Now you're stepping into a level and a, and, uh, where gratitude meets faith, where gratitude meets faith. You are coming so close to the creator of everything that when you put an eye to them like that, they will put an eye to you this creator of everything, right? God, you want to call it God, you want to call it Allah, you want to call it creative substance, you want to call it the universe, whatever it is. That is a universal law that if you can mix faith with gratitude, meaning that you you have this dream, you have this vision of who you are to become, and then you have so much faith in it that you believe it at such a level that you are grateful for it, that you can look up in the sky and say, thank you, God, for giving me this life already. I know that you've put it on my heart. I know that it's mine. You're going to create a cocktail that you come so close to the creator of everything that they will put an eye back on you. They will give you a path. They will give you a deliverance that it's, it's so powerful. And the great thing about this is, and I talked about this before, is that gratitude and fear cannot live and occupy the same space. Mm. So anytime uh, my heart turns towards scarcity uh, which I dismiss as an actual sin. Anytime my heart moves towards scarcity or I, I go towards lack or anything like that, I immediately know I'm triggered to step into gratitude. I'm triggered to step in immediately into everything that I'm grateful for around me, in my life, uh, all of these things. And I'm telling you that fear cannot exist where gratitude lives. Yeah, I love that. They can't occupy the same space. You see, and I'm telling you guys, this works every time. It's not even debatable. It's, it's, I could, I could go on and on. I know it'd take days, but it is scientifically, this is scientifically proven. You guys want to read a pretty cool book about it. It's called the science of getting rich by Wallace Waddles. You read that book, skip over thinking, go grow rich, skip over all the other ones, go back to the original, the OG. This is the book that not a lot of people have talked about. It's kind of hidden in the, you know, it's, it's a, it's secret to a lot of people, right? There's not a lot of people that know about it. It's called the science of getting rich. I love everything you're saying. And it just reminds me of, of, of you talking about that kind of doing that duality between the spirit and the flesh. So you can start that dance and that's what should be very empowering and exciting to everybody is that it is at your fingertips to at least start that, that mm-hmm. process with that, that duality by believing that I, I always and maybe it's a waste of energy to sit there and to think why, but why is our default scarcity and not abundance? You know, that's what I, I've always kind of wrestled with from a philosophical standpoint. Why is the default limiting beliefs and self-doubt? And scarcity? Technically it's not our, our default's actually abundance. Cause when we're kids, when we're brought into this earth, uh, we are, we are abundant thinkers. Uh, we want that's everything. True. We can't understand why that's we can't have true. everything. Like we're actually brought into this world as abundant thinkers And uh, that actually gets taken away from us throughout life. Like people tell us we can't do this or we can't have that. You know, we end up getting all these uh, uh, imposed limitations put over our life. And that comes from the outside. I'm a firm believer that God comes from the inside and the negative spirit around us that's given us the negativity and all that comes from the outside, right? That's the duality of that, right? That comes from the outside, from the rest of the world. 
the inner spirit is actually God wanting to live and flow through you and deliver you and actually live through you through this world, your spirit, your heart, your soul. And, and for all, any of you guys who are biblical, I can just go, uh, I had my church of the savage the other night and I went through line after line after line that talks about Jesus actually lives inside of us. And, uh, that's, uh, if you're into biblical truths, that's the truth. If you want to go down to the scientific route, you can go into quantum physics and you could find out that literally everything that, uh, in this world is made of little vibrating packs of energy called quanta. And these little tiny packs of energy are the smallest quantum physics is the study of, uh, the smallest thing in the earth, right? So as, as little packs of quanta, these vibrating packs of energy, the deeper you look into them, they actually disappear. They're elusive, but it's what everything is made out of. So what I want you guys to think about is that literally our creator that created us, whether you want to call it the universe, God, Buddha, Jesus, whatever you want to call it, uh, that created us, we are made of the exact same things. Not only the exact same thing that it's cr- that created us, but we're actually made of the exact same substance. And we also have something called free will. Let me explain to you why free will is important. So free will is important because, well, number one, if you go out and talk to a duck and you tell a duck to do something, a duck's not going to do anything. A duck's going to be a duck. A duck is uh, programmed. A, gr- a duck is programmed to be a duck, right? We are the only creature outside of God who created us who are creators, who have been sent here to create. Okay? So that's why free will is important, and that's why we got to understand uh, that – our creative genius, our creative powers are actually what we are put here to deploy. You see, when you step in and you level up to your biggest, best individual, you have to be very, very creative to do that, right? So yeah. when you look at your, um, and I was talking to you about this uh, before the show. So if you look at whatever your dream life, I'm, I'm big into writing this perfect day down, right? To writing down what your perfect day looks like all the way from the moment that you wake up all the way to the end of the day, getting a overall vision of that perfect day, right? And holding that in your mind and your heart Well, you've got to get very creative to become the individual, become the individual. So you are constantly creating your way. You've got to create a new you. You know, and that, my friends, is what we are actually put here to do. That is our ultimate purpose. Now, whatever your Michelangelo looks like, whatever your Donatello looks like, you know, that is you, my friends. That's you, right? But we need to step into that creative center to actually move forward. And a lot of that, okay, has that contrast, okay? Like, again, uh, what creates movement is good and bad, okay? You know, flesh and spirit, whatever you want to call it. Good and bad creates movement. So a lot of times when we're fighting our way through becoming that next big version of ourself, uh, the only thing that creates that movement is the fight. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So the fight Mm -hmm. has to be there. The same thing that makes the earth spin, the same thing that makes everything move, that negative, positive spirit, all that stuff, that all has to be there to move everything forward. It's almost like, uh, you know, um, everything has that in it, by the way. Everything has good and bad. I, I was sitting there one day, I was thinking, well, you know, everything has good and bad, right? So a gun uh, can protect your family or it can be put in the wrong person's hands and they can kill a bunch of people, whatever, right? So everything has good and bad to it. Uh, food is amazing when you're going to starve to death and you can save your life with food or you can overeat and die, right? Die of heart disease with food, right? So there's good and bad in everything. And I was even thinking, I was like, so what would be like the good and bad in like a flower, right? Well, maybe that flower popped up and it's putting shade on another flower. Yeah. 
or maybe it took nutrients from something on its way up, right? There is, you're going to find that, that same duality in every single thing in this world, because it's what creates growth and movement. I kind of look at this world, uh, as, as like a bulb, you ever see like the bulb of like a plant, that dirty bulb yeah. thing, right. That you put underneath there, right. The, the earth is growing through this duality, right. Of good and bad. And it is growing to be this beautiful thing. But right now we're still in that phase where it's that dirty bulb. Now, at least we're not in the phase where we were running away from reptiles and fighting off dinosaurs and stuff like that. But that was a necessary phase. That was a necessary phase. Um, something I learned that's kind of crazy over time. And don't get me wrong. I still get mad at politicians and stuff like that. But something I've learned over time is that they are here to serve their purpose. And as soon as they can be done away with, they will be done away with. You know? And to focus on the good in them, because if you focus on the good and what it is that they're doing, that good will will come back and focus itself on you. Yeah, I had somebody say that too. I love that you said that. I had some, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in all the negativity. And and someone mentioned that to me. It's like, well, try to see, I can't remember what biblical passage that he gave me. But um, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, you know, kind of what you just said right there. They'll serve their purpose there for the time, find the good, and pray for them to for them to see the light. Something to that effect, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it does no good for me to kind of just highlight, not just a politician, anybody, right? To just kind of point out, well, see how much of a dirtbag this person is. I should pray for them to see the light, right? Mm hmm yeah, it goes back to this whole, you know, how, how are we making this place better than we found it? It, it goes back. I'm going back to um, soaking everything you've been. Everything you've said has been so, so awesome. But it's going back to the what I consider when I, I've incorporated into my coaching over the last few years, kind of like you, you said the word creator. And it's the difference between a lot of what David Edmondson talks about in Three Vital Questions. I don't know if you've ever read that. I highly recommend that you read that book. It, mm-hmm. it highlights um, it, it's how to how to get out of the, the drama cycle, right? And how we're wired, or, or we've been we've been um, programmed f- since birth from this coming out of this abundant mindset to the scarcity <laughs> mindset. And we, now we react to drama. So the vast majority of what we see and all the kind of dysfunction in the world is this kind of people reacting in this drama cycle, right? Sure. You come into my, you know, into my office as my boss and you're yelling at me, you know, calling me worthless. My gut reaction is to react back. And, and what do you mean, John? Screw you, you know, to hell with you. You're not so great either, you know. And instead I can... As you said, you know, leaders, creators choose, right? Creators are always at a choice. If you're reactionary, you don't have a choice. You know, you're just reacting to whatever stimuli mm-hmm. that's coming your way. But if we're living up to our obligation, we choose. I can choose no matter what. Nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can take that away from me. Uh, no matter if you're coming at me as a total jerk and, and unexcusable trying to put all your dysfunction on me, I can choose to respond to that. Now, easier said than done, but if you could at least remember that you're always at a choice, if you're a creator, you get in that space, you've automatically started the, what I call the leadership game, right? You're already dipped your foot into the leadership pool if you chose to, to how you respond. And to your point is like, 
and and what helps with that is having this kind of like as you talked about pre-recording this life vision i call it this kind of outcome-based mindset right what sure. is it i'm trying to achieve here mm-hmm. because that's something you can always go back to so if you have that clarity and alignment to your point to your life vision of why you're here and what your purpose is that can give you the sh- the armor the sword and the shield that you need to kind of weather that storm but you got to have that right if you have so, that outcome based yeah. vision that is what gives you so, the juice mm-hmm. to continue to go forward right yep yep so yeah no i i have coached and i i work with i don't do as much coaching as i used to i don't have as much time to do the one on one type stuff or anything like that mm-hmm. um but uh the biggest problem that individuals have they see the vision right uh, but they don't see the path to actually, they don't really know what to do on a daily basis. And uh, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit because I want to first off kind of explain, um, I hate to say the word law of attraction, but I do think that this is going to be a familiar term to talk about. Um, because it's not actually what they had, you know, don't think that I'm about ready to tell you what the seekers told you. Okay. Because there's work that has to be done. <laughs> you can't sit there. Uh, you can be a daydreamer if you want, but the daydreaming is only going to go so far. Right. Uh, but let me, let me take it one step further and talk a little bit about how the law of attraction, uh, if you, if you will call it that, I hate to call it that, but, uh, how that actually works with your vision. Okay. So when you create a vision, number one, I'm big about, uh, I used to be big about creating a, a vision in my business. Uh, but the problem with that is that's only like one rung of your life. It's only like one leg. Okay. You know, you've got, oh, yeah, it's only one piece of your life. I mean, you got like contribution goals. I mean, you got, you know, uh, a legacy, you've got, uh, your family, you've got, uh, your community, you've got all of these things, right. Wrapped up. Okay. So I'm more along the lines concerned with the business fueling everything. Okay. And so the business is going to fuel the life that you want, obviously. Uh, so that's gotta be, that's a huge element of it. So what I do is I write down the perfect day and you're going to, you're going to learn a lot from the perfect day. Number one, the very first thing I start with, and you, if you guys want to Google it, uh, just go Google principles of God. What are principles of God and figure out all of the principles. And what makes a principle is that it's absolute truth. It's like the law of gravity. So the very first thing that you got to understand are the principles of what actually works. Okay. All right. So you, you can't live your life without guiding principles. Most people live their life on preferences, not principles. Okay. You got to make sure to align your life. Number one with principles, what works things, you know, a principle would be like, okay, well, when you sow, you reap, we can see that everywhere. You say everywhere in life, you can see that. Okay. Make sure you guide your life with principles. The second thing, write down what your perfect day looks like. And I'm here to tell you guys the biggest problem that I see with people is they short sell themselves on this and they they don't dream big enough. And here's the deal. If you read your perfect day and you do not get emotional, then it's not big enough. It has to have it has to drive the emotional arc. And you're going to understand why here in a minute. But you want to write it down as in detail as possible. It probably takes me five minutes to read my perfect day. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know how many words it is. I never put it on a word count, but it takes me like five minutes and I read it twice a day. I read it before I go to bed and I read it when I get up in the morning, very first thing. And, um, I, and the entire time that I'm reading it, I'm saying that I'm thankful for it now over and over and over again. And I write down my perfect day from the moment that I wake up, the smells that I smelled, the, uh, things that I did, uh, the people that came into my life. Uh, the things that we did together, you know, the the big 
event that I'm going to be speaking at on the day after, you know, all the way, everything. And it's very, very emotional. And I also, three times in the story, I um, highlight a, a moment where I realized I'm living the life of my dreams now. And it's very important because them moments should trigger some form of emotion. And you got to sit down. Listen, guys, this is like having a play date with God. Uh, I mean, you got to sit down, take three, take four hours, whatever it takes. If this is the very first thing, you know, figure out the principles you want to live your life on, the solid, the rules, the laws, and then write down your solid, your perfect day. And when you read it, I want you to um, get emotional, like feel, you know, that that moment where you're watching a really sad movie and you start to tear up a little bit or you're in church and your pastor says something that just strikes your heart. You want to be able to feel that way when you read this perfect day. Okay. Because here's what that's going to do. That's going to fuel everything down the pipeline. Not to mention if you read your perfect day, you can find your core values because you'll see what yeah. you value during that day. What, what did you right. do? Who did you spend time with? Right. Like, like what, yeah. you know, you will find your core values will come out of that perfect day. Most people think they have their core values down, but they just Googled it and found core values or they took somebody else's core values. <laughs> Write down your perfect day first and you'll find the things that you value and these values make you valuable. Okay. So now you've got your core values, all right, which is super powerful because that will dictate all your alignments and everything that you do. You know, I mean, it, it, look, you can't align with somebody that doesn't have the same values. You just can't. It's not going to, it's not going to mix well together. You, and, and it also stops you from like opening, like us entrepreneurs have this problem where we have shiny object syndrome and we want to open up all these other businesses. You start looking at things through a value. Is it, does it align with where I want my life to be? Does yeah. it align with my big life vision? Does it align with everything that I want to do? Does it align with my perfect day? Because if it does, doesn't, then you got to say no to it. It's out of alignment. Yeah. That's why everything has got to be in order. Everything's got to be in line. Okay. And I promise y'all that this literally takes, and it has to be updated. I, I got a whole system where, you know, you, you look at it, you update it quarterly, you add things, you know, whatever you can update it monthly when you're perfect day, you know, you think of something you want to add it and you want to update. It's an evolving document, right? It's what, what moves you when, when you create something, you add something else. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. It's an ever evolving document, right? So then if you go down and uh, what I do is I do yearly and I do couple planning. So me and my wife will go out and we'll fly somewhere and we'll write down our goals. I want to know her goals as she, she wants to know mine. So we get on the same page where we can be supportive of each other because guys, if you got a wife out there, you, if you support her on her goals, accomplishing her goals, she's going to support you on yours. Okay. We need to stop looking at it of who, who can I get to support me? Why don't you go out there and be the supporter? And then you'll get the support. Okay. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, but it's almost like, you know, we love people the way we want to love them rather than the way they yeah, want to be no, loved. But I mean, that, right? That's one thing I learned when I went through uh, counseling, recovering from the affair. It's like, you know, remember if I played the tape, it made it it's cringeworthy. Now I'm thinking the things I was saying, well, she didn't do this for me or I shouldn't do that. Didn't do that. And I remember the counselor basically said, or the therapist basically said, you want to be a better husband, be a better husband. Or you, you want to you want to be loved, you know, be more loving, you know. Yeah. You want more. Well, let's take it one step further. Life. Let's take it one step further. If you want to be a leader, love people as they want to be loved, not the way you want to love them. Yeah, very well said. You see what I'm saying? Like now yeah. we're taking it one step further, going, you know, how what 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 how did what do they need? What, what, how do they need to be loved? Right. And you're, you're, again, you're stepping outside of yourself. And I mean, servant leadership's incredible. You know, it's incredible thing. 
um, you know, ultimately to the point where yeah, I believe the greatest servant and leader of all time was Jesus Christ. And I'll give you the reason why. And I'm not saying this to convert anybody or change anybody, but it's just a fact. Now think about this. You, if you want to think about Buddha, you want to think about uh, Muhammad, you want to think about any other religious figure out there, do, uh, the Dalai Lama even that lives today, do, do you know there are people around them? Do you know the people that supported them? Do you know their disciples or whatever you want to call it, right? You don't. Uh, most people can't even name one of them. And these are right. like people that I talk to that have even read stuff about them and all these kind of things, right? Jesus Christ literally gave every single one of his disciples the ability to write his story. And when they did that, it flipped time. Regardless, I don't care what anybody wants to say, they're living on his clock. They're living on his watch right now. It flipped time because he empowered every single disciple to write his story for him. You see? Yeah. And, and I don't know. That's the guy who – that's the guy who – that's one of the reasons why I follow him. Uh, you know, you did a, it's kind of a side note. You did a great post about how the day I saw it on Facebook about how he's kind of a savage. I think I can't remember the title of that. Oh post. yeah. People have made him out to be this little weak guy. I'm here to tell you he was, uh, he, he was, was not a weak dude. He, he was, was a contrarian <laughs> rebel. Didn't give a shit. About, yeah. I mean, he was like in your face. Well, look at what he said when he said that I send you out among wolves and I'm here to tell you that you've got to be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. Yeah. All right. So as shrewd as a snake. Now, immediately the Pharisees would have thought the devil because they would have went back to the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. So they're like, he's telling people to be the devil, right? That's like immediately what they would have thought by reading that or hearing that, right? What he was saying was, is that he was behind enemy lines. He was dealing with the devil. He was hunting down to be killed his entire life. He had no place to lay his head. And he knew that they were trying to corner him to kill him every step of the way. And he knew that was going to happen to his disciples. So you have to be innocent as doves, but as shrewd as what they are. Yeah, there's like a, a – we used to talk about this in the Marine Corps. It's like kind of the mindset from a leadership standpoint that we always wanted to have. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, and just use it in a, a scenario in a bar scene. You know, you don't want to be the guy that's sitting there and someone comes up to you and whatever. It gets in your space and you stand up and you puff up your chest and everything else, right? You want to be – sitting there with that person, your enemy or the guys next to you, that's being a jerk and you're buying drinks for him. You're sitting there, you're talking with him. Then when you get up to go to the bathroom, you know, he thinks you're the best guy ever. And then you pick up a bar stool and you crush in his skull. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's the type of, that's what it means to be shrewd as snake. You know, yeah. it's like when you're in the den of wolves, you know, you got to kind of, I, I just kind of, some people may not like that kind of analogy or that kind of mindset, but I think that it's that composed force in that chaotic situation, right? That is way more dangerous than the boisterous, loud, kind of in your face, right? And it's like you want that kind of silent warrior that, you know, when it's time to be unleashed, I mean, God help you, yeah, you know, but, but, but in the, in the meantime, I'm the perfect, you're the perfect gentleman, you know, you're very, it's right. I mean, that's, that duality is, I think, very powerful. Well, if you actually look um, what I believe what, what uh, Jesus did, if you actually look at what he did in this world, it was a form of pure love coming through, right? And a lot of people yeah. get confused whenever they think of uh, love. A lot of people think that it's really lovey, and, and it actually isn't. Uh, if you look at love, like if, if we all lived and walked in love, we would be beating the shit out of each other. Because right. we would be telling everybody exactly what love is intervention. 
Love is like, it, it, look, if you really love somebody and they're going out and getting out of line, you're going to tell them like he came in here as a, and he intervened with the world. It was a, a intervention with the world, including all the religious people and the leaders and all these people. He was putting them on trial, intervene, you know, on intervention and, and they didn't like house. it. They didn't like it. Yeah. Right. And then the people yeah. loved him. The people just loved him. So they couldn't figure out a way to kill him. And, uh, so, you know, yeah. but, uh, going back through that, I mean, I just believe that, that in my opinion is like a servant leader that, uh, it just, uh, it's remarkable. If you look at that man's legacy and people, people always also act like he was poor. I'm like, he's like, was the richest person in the world. He literally said he reaps where he doesn't even sow. Meaning that basically means he's saying that, Hey, I own it all. What are you talking about? Like I, own, I own it all. Why? I don't have to reap where I sow. Right? right, like the richest man in the world was, is, and always will be Jesus in my book. Right, I don't know what your religion is, yeah. but because he owns and is everything. Right, so anyhow, that goes back oh, like that. the whole money thing and all that. Like he was just meant to live here as a poor person. He's the richest person in the world. He owned it all. Okay, let's just yeah. get that past. Let's get that behind us. And well, uh, this is why this is why I like you. I mean, I've always loved your stuff. I mean, I, you, you kind of look at it from this. You know, I, I don't know if it's kind of cliche, but like it's the gentle giant kind of thing. It's like the, you know what I mean? It's the officer and the gentleman, the gentle giant. It's the, <laughs> yeah. there, there's, there's so much to be said about that, right? A warrior and a gentleman or whatever the case may be, right? You got to be both. And when it's time, it's, when it's time to kick ass and take names, you should just do it with, with, without hesitation, Right. And I, I think that's when I when I think about Jesus, that's how I like to look at him, right? That yeah. I, I don't buy the you know sitting there carrying a lamb all the time and just this peace and everything else. No, no. he's flipping tables over and you know. And, and you know that you that know. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but the precinct that he did that in, people think that was like this little temple. The precinct is the size of a football field, man. Yeah. So it, it's it wasn't even in the temple. It was in the precinct, which is like the yard in front of the temple. Mm-hmm. And they were selling things. And what upset him was a few things. Number one was that the animal trade back then was really shady. And so there was like a bunch of like uh, shady stuff going on behind them lines. Right. So uh, like that was number one. But actually, that was would have been a number two. What upset, what upset him the most is the Gentiles were not allowed in there to pray. And he started bringing up quotes from the Old Testament that basically meant this place is going to be burnt to the ground because of the leadership, the the leadership, the Pharisees that did this. And when he spoke to the people in that temple, it was an indictment to the Pharisees specifically for guiding the church down this path to become what it actually became. So we're talking about a dude. Number one, think about this. Let's just say there's five or six of us standing there, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, we're at like maybe an apex event or something like that. And do you think some dude's going to come up and start stealing our, or throwing our money on the floor and flipping our tables without us attacking him? Like this guy was a juggernaut. Like he rolled up in there and cleared out a football field, bro. Like that's yeah. no joke. And if you go back to when he, um, there, there's, th- that was one time that if you look back in the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew, uh, translation, it said that he was that of a war horse. It was the emotion that was coming out of him. The second time that was that he had that same emotion happen, uh, which was before that, would have been when he raised Lazarus from from the tomb, and he was uh, heading to to go raise Lazarus Lazarus from the dead. And Mary from Bethany had met him, fell to his feet, and he felt her pain. 
And here's what you don't realize. So Martha came to him first, her other sister. And Martha just stood there and said, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would have not have died. He said, woman, he's going to raise again, right? Like, what, 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 why are you bothering me? I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to raise him up. He's, you know, the, the will of God is going to be done through your brother. So there. So, but then, then Mary from Bethany fell to his feet. And, and tears came from her eyes. And she said, said the exact same thing that Martha said. Said, Jesus, you know, my brother just died. And then they said that same moment, he, they seen that same emotion where he turned into a war horse. And, and, right. and that was an example. Like every, nothing, nothing uh, that Jesus ever said was, was uh, just random. It all or did was random. That was saying that when you fall to his feet, and you give him your heart and your emotion that he feels what you feel. And he went on to that cave and, and uh, the tomb, and he said, would have been a cave back then. And he said, you know, move the stone. He said, Lazarus, I'm not going to yell it. Wake up, walk out, come out, right? And they said that his voice sound like that of a thunderstorm. Like, like his voice was that of a powerful, that is not a, not a weak individual. And then when the Roman soldiers tried to get him, uh, what came up to, to arrest him, he said, you know, I'm looking for Jesus Nazareth. And he turned around, he said, I am he. And they fell to their backs. Right. Right. Peter cuts off somebody's ear. And, and, uh, that is not a weak man that turns around and speaks at them and causes them to flip and come crashing down on their freaking backs. Yeah. Like he had the power and, and what makes him even the most powerful is that he let them drag him to the cross and kill him when he could have at any moment destroyed them all. Yeah. Oh, I love that. John, can we been talking for an hour? I can't believe it, Crazy, my man. man. <laughs> I didn't know that it was going to go down the the biblical track. Um, oh, I didn't either, but it, I'm yeah. glad it did. It's yeah. fun. I, I still so want, much more we could talk about. I still want to give you guys a quick takeaway, though, because I felt like the yeah, story yes, got kind of got cut in the middle. So I want to give you guys some tactical, some actually strategic things that you can do here with your vision. And uh, I'm just going to break it down for you guys. It's going to be quick. And it's going to take you one day to do this. So take a Sunday and spend the day doing this okay number one write down your vision make sure that it's emotional that it impacts you you know make sure that's in in accordance with the principles that you find to guide your life okay the second thing read your your day your your uh, your vision is your uh is your perfect day read that and find out what values you have when you're writing that day break out your core values based on that or swap them out if you've already written down your core values make sure your core values are in alignment with that okay because everything like i said everything has to be in line the next thing that you do is you know do a yearly plan uh, look look at your year where you're at today where do you want to be next year next thing that you do i want you to chunk chunk that down into a quarter so take in your business whatever you got to do in your business to create the financials or the income that you got to do Inside of your, this is where where it kind of converts over to your business. Okay, write down three things, one to three things that you want to accomplish within the next uh, quarter. So the next three months, ninety days, write down uh, one to three things, and I want you to be able to write it down to a point where it's only on one sheet. So you got to be able to look at it one sheet. It's like literally proven that if you write it down on multiple sheets, that uh, you're less likely yeah. to do it. The second thing you do, write down your month. So now that you got your quarter done, write down what you want to accomplish this month, okay? 
And you can even do this. I got this pad, this uh, notebook pad called a remarkable and it's incredible yeah. to do this. Okay. So write down what you want to accomplish that month and then take a step back and write down what you want to accomplish for the next week to chip down the month. Right. So you got the, you literally, you got the, what you want to do throughout the year. You got your big vision, what you want to do throughout right. the year, what you want to do for your quarter, what you want to do for your month. Now you've written down what you want to accomplish this week. And then every day, write down your MITs, which are tasks one to five, one to five of them. Uh, sometimes you're going to overdo it. I did it yesterday. I wrote down too many and I got overwhelmed and things went left on me and that'll happen, but I moved them to the next day. Okay. And, uh, and then start, you will know what you need to do on a daily basis. This means that what you do on a daily basis will be connected to your overall vision and your overall dream. And if you have, if you literally did one thing per day, if you're not doing anything at all right now to move your life forward, you feel like you're circling, you're moving around in circles, you're not going anywhere, you're not accomplishing anything. If you do one thing per day, that will, this will dramatically change your life. You're going to start seeing a compound effect just from doing one task a day. And yeah. the next thing I just want to tell before I forget about this, I don't, this is like the most important part. Here's what you guys got to do. You guys got to put your dream into it. So whenever you do that one thing, pour your dream into it while you're doing it. That's what's going to make it efficient. So what happens, here's where the law of attraction gets ignited, okay? This is, uh, I'm going to tell you guys this before, before we go. This is, this is how the law of attraction gets ignited. What it is, the law of attraction is literally a vision, something you got your eyes on, right? And it comes through your mental uh, focus, right? What do you got to do, right? And then that creates an emotional arc. The emotional arc actually creates a result. So what happens is it's on this, imagine it being like a triangle. So you got the, you know, the mental and then you got the emotional and then you got the physical. Okay. Once you start moving on this and you're paying attention to that dream and you're putting your dream in your everyday work. So these little tasks are a reflection of this big dream. What's going to happen is it's going to start feel, fueling your heart with so much power. If this big dream makes you emotional, if you're reading it a couple times a day and it's going to start creating so much passion, it starts fueling your heart on your daily tasks that you are going to start being flooded with the power of this thing they call law of attraction and what it is. It means you're excited about what you're doing. Can you remember a time in life where you had a plan and each task you were so excited to do because it was connected to the overall plan and it was getting these things done. And what's going to happen is the energy is going to get so intense. It's going to be going into your heart, right? That energy is going to be so intense that the energy has to go somewhere else and that's out. So what happens is people tune into your radio station. Other people, the law of attraction is brought to you by other people, by the way. Other people yeah. will see you, connect with you based on your passion. And when you start getting passionate like that, people want to give you their money. People want to help you accomplish your goals. People want to be a part of it because they see something in you that they want. That's where the law of attraction comes from. Okay? It's not some magical thing that you just sit around and dream up. You have to do. Listen, listen if, if, if it's done right, your, your mental and your emotion, emotional when it creates that arc, you have to do a physical result. It's the same thing as if your football team scored the winning touchdown on the Super Bowl. You would have to jump out of your seat, right? Right. All right? It evoked that emotion. You seen something came through your mental cortex and it went and hit your emotion and bam, it created a result. You jumped out of your seat. Ah, they won, right? When you step into this and you do this right, when you get everything in alignment, you know where you're going. You got clarity of how to get there. 
and you, you connect all of these things and you break them down, just like I told you, down to daily tasks, you are going to be on fire. And you're going to find people come to you from different places that you never expected. Opportunities are going to come to you uh, that you never even knew existed. They're going to appear. But the coolest thing about it is like you, you can't, you're, you're keeping your eye on the track, right? So many entrepreneurs, they don't have this clear cut vision. So what happens is they go out, start marching towards something and they see something else. So they start marching to the left, right? They start marching yeah. to the right. I'm here to tell you, you need to create a direct path between you and your vision. Don't let anything get in, in between that. If anything gets in between that, here's the way I look at everything. My buddy Mike calls this the scavenger hunt. All right. So you look at whatever it is, something, thing, person, right? Whatever that is. And you look to see if that aligns with your vision. Does this thing work with my vision, right? Because if it aligns with your vision, then keep it. If it doesn't, you just got to say no. That's right. You know, you just got to say no. I always think of it. Uh, I always think of it like this when you, when they talk about that scavenger hunt thing, you know, uh, there was some guy who wanted to be a millionaire one day and he's just like looking at a rock and he's going, you know, how could this rock make me a millionaire? And, uh, you know, this rock probably could, you know, maybe it could. And then he started painting some eyes on it and put a little tail on it. And all of a sudden he had a pet rock. Right. And he's like, Oh, you remember them like back in the eighties or nineties, yeah, right? The pet rock. He's like, Oh wow. You know, yeah, this thing does facilitate making me a millionaire. Right. You know, or I always think of uh, my buddy Mike talks about the two stoners who are sitting there in their mom's house and their mom finally gets upset. They're playing video games all day. They're not working. They're not doing anything. These two stoner kids. She comes down. She goes, you guys have to leave. Get out of my house now, you know, and they get ready to leave. They're starting to pack up. She goes, you know what? She goes, you guys can stay one more day, but you got to go out in the yard and clean up the dog shit. (laughs) So they're out there. They're cleaning up the dog shit. Terrible job, you know, right? And they're looking at each other like, bro, like, how are we going to make money, man? Like, you know, like what's going on? They're up there picking up the dog shit. And all of a sudden one of them looks at the other one and goes, bro, we're picking up dog shit. I bet people would probably pay us to do that. Bam, problem solved, right? They had a huge problem. They couldn't, they, they could not like let their focus go, right? The huge problem. And they're out there picking up dog shit and, and it becomes the catalyst to solve their problem. And, uh, you know, in life, don't think that you're going to be able to go through this without picking up dog shit. Cause there's going to be times when you're going to have to. <laughs> <That's so true. laughs> Dude, I love it. John, you're the best, man. I love all this stuff. You're right. And it's like, yeah, having that outcome, that vision, it's basically, it's like giving you, you're creating this bill of rights or this kind of litmus test that you can always refer back to. That's going to keep you on track. And what I love about this, and you write about this in marketing savage too, is, you know, even if you just do one thing. But that that one thing that that's in service of that uh, vision that you did all the work for, that is exponentially way more powerful than doing a bunch of useless tasks that, that just are spinning your wheels and you're reacting to something that's not in your in alignment, right? And I think that's where a lot of us are. We're, a lot of the stuff that we do on a daily basis, we're just reacting to the day or the moment or the next thing or the, yeah. the next crisis email. And we don't have this thing that we can go back to and say, is this in alignment with what I'm doing? If it's not, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So even if you just do one thing and it's in alignment with what you've done the work and set up with your vision is, that's way more beneficial than doing a whole bunch of useless stuff. So anyway. That's it, my great man. Stuff. You're the best, man. Uh, this uh, this is such a powerful conversation. I, I, I know I'm a better person sitting this hour and 10 minutes with you. What can people do to, to learn more about you and get in, get in, connect, 
contact with you? Uh, you guys can head on over to the marketing savage.com or it's actually marketing savage.com and uh, check us out over there. And uh, you can connect with, uh, you can actually get my book over there. You can go on to Amazon marketing savage, check it out. I'm writing another book. And uh, just to say it's along the lines of some of the things that we've talked about today. And I believe that it's going to be the absolute, absolute most powerful book uh, that I'll probably ever write. I mean, it's coming out, just pouring out of me right now. And I can't wait to get that onto the, you know, out and in, out into people's hands. But uh, as of right now, my marketing savage book is incredibly powerful. It's got a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that we talked about today. Like I'm probably the only person that wrote a marketing book and focused more on who you should be rather than what you should do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. because ultimately at the end of the day, I've seen a lot of case studies. I work with a lot of people and, um, it's, it always comes down to the who, like I look at the person that I'm going to work with. And I'm very selective on who I'll work with. Uh, and I look at that person and I'm like, do I think this is going to be a good alignment? I'm always looking at who they are because I know I can, I can base their results off of who they are. I really can. Yeah. I really can. Yeah. And, and I can see, like, I can look at somebody and be like, oh, I'll set it on fire for this person. Then I hear somebody else talk and I'm like, no, nah, you, you're not ready yet. You know, you're not ready for whatever you're talking about. You're not ready yet. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. so because of that, I focus on the, who you should become, uh, the energy, the energy that you should be delivering to the world and then how to take marketing and use that as a catalyst to actually do that. Yeah. I love marketing savage. It's one of those, I, you know, I have it up there with, with, Again, Stephen Pressfield's uh, War of Arts, my Bible, Marketing Savage, but John Hiley's right up there with it. So I appreciate that, my I, friend. I always refer to you've you've impacted my life in so many ways, John. And, and I know we've never sat down and talked. This is the first time we've talked, even though we've been connected on social media for a while. But um, man, I, I look forward to having you back on the show. There's so much more things we can explore, and I can't wait for your book to come out. So thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Hey, I appreciate you as well. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.